ever since I was a kid, I've been fascinated with money. You got pounds, you got dollars, you got rubles, yuan, just fascinating stuff. I also was fascinated with pirates, and I mentioned that because I've got a new book coming out, Pirate Money, Discovering the Hidden Plan for Economic Justice and Defeating the Great Reset. Now, as a kid, I read everything I could get my hands on about the history of money. You know, I was talking to Russell Lake, one of my business partners and the executive producer of the show, and he said we should explain the history of money on the show, at least the history of American money. It's very important to understand where we've been so that we can make wise choices about where we should go. I've also been a student of the Constitution. The Miracle of America or the Making of America by Cleon Skousen, that was required reading in the Freeman home. You know, even a hundred years ago, people thought money was a topic worth discussing. Before that, the founders, they talked about it all the time. Well, it's about to become a great topic again with central bank digital currency. I want you to look, if you've got one, pull out a $20 bill. My question, is this money? Unequivocally, yes, today it is. But by historical standards, no, not so much. Wait, how can that be? It all depends on your perspective. Pirate Money, the new book, is going to change your perspective. When I first started writing it, I knew pirate would be in the title. The book is about money, the wealth gap, the Great Reset, central bank digital currency, and Chinese efforts to displace the American dollar. More importantly, though, it's about implementing a solution to provide economic justice for real people facing severe challenges that are all headed straight at us. I believe that the solution has a pirate element in it. And when you're finished the reading of the book, I think you'll agree, we're about to go on a national treasure style hunt, searching through clues left by our founders of this great republic. They lived in a world of pirates. To learn their hidden secret, we'll have to change our thinking and this book is a roadmap to that treasure. Now, many things in life are primarily determined by our perspective, money included. For, for example, are you aware that the purchasing power of dollar bills that are in your wallet have declined 87% according to official government inflation measures just since 1971? Basically, everything costs about eight times as much as it did back then. How did that happen? Well, in 1971, President Nixon shocked the world by abandoning the gold standard. He said it was temporary. The move made international waves, but it's largely been forgotten. But is it true that, that those things that cost a dollar today could be bought for 13 cents in 1971? Yeah, that's factual, for sure, based on official government inflation statistics. And those are probably understated. And the Federal Reserve notes that you have in your pocket? Ah, uh, they certainly buy a lot less than they did 50 years ago. I remember as a kid, you could buy a good candy bar for a dime. Now it costs upwards of $2. Every American has felt the very real pinch of inflation. So if you've got one of these, pull that 20 from your pocket or purse and let's look at it closely. It says at the top, Federal Reserve Note. Then on the lower left, printed in small, all cap letters, you'll see this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. You'll also see the foreboding seal of the Federal Reserve right there. It looks kind of intimidating. And on the right, there's the green seal of the United States Treasury. Um, and then there's a signature from the head of the uh, Treasury and from the Treasurer of the United States. Then there's this big picture of Andrew Jackson. 
Now, Jackson's not the favorite president of the Freeman household because of what he did to the Cherokee Nation with the Trail of Tears and so forth. But the operative thing I want you to notice is it says Federal Reserve Note. In finance, a note refers to a debt instrument. This paper is an IOU or a promise to pay back a loan with any interest due. Quoting Corporate Finance Institute, it says a bank note is negotiable promissory note which one party can use to pay another party a specific amount of money. A bank note is payable to the bearer on demand and the amount payable is apparently on, apparent on the face of the note. Bank notes are considered legal tender. Along with coins, they make up the bearer forms of all modern money. A bank note is also known as a bill. Now, what is this redeemable for? Well, basically, if you got a 20, you can get two tens for it, or four fives, or 21s, or any combination of that. But it is not redeemable for gold or silver. Federal Reserve notes are debt instruments backed by nothing more than the full faith and credit of the United States. So the question is, what's that worth? But do you really carry bills in your wallet? They're good for tips, they're good for birthday gifts, they're good for an occasional treat like a donut or coffee. But mostly, we take our phones and we tap to pay, or we use credit cards. These are essentially known as fiat money. Fiat is Latin for let it be. Yeah, they had that before the Beatles. It's unbacked, not backed by anything. And it has lost purchasing power. You know that, stamps now cost 66 cents. Just since the year 2000, prices have gone up 76%. Since the year 2020, things cost 20% more. Would you be surprised if I told you that a dollar has not lost its purchasing power? Not one bit, wait. It depends on how you define the word dollar. The word dollar, as used by the founders of the United States and the authors of the Constitution, referred to something much more specific than a dirty green piece of paper with a picture of a dead president. It referred to a silver coin issued by Spain called a Spanish milled dollar, to be precise. Now, I want to quote Edwin Vieira in a November 1994 article published by the Foundation for Economic Education with the title, What is a Dollar? History shows that the real dollar is a coin, this one, containing 371.25 grains, troy ounce of fine silver. Both Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the Constitution and the Seventh Amendment use the noun dollar. But it is 371.25 troy grains, which is about 0.77 troy ounces. Constitution doesn't define dollar. Uh, because in the late 1700s, everyone knew that this was a dollar. It referred to something very specific. Now, Spanish mill dollar, under the country's monetary reforms of 1497, the silver real became the Spanish money of account. It's known as pesos, duros, pesos de ocho, pieces of eight, or Spanish dollars. The coins achieved predominance in the New World because of Spain's very important commercial and political position. Pirate money, that's what it is. It's pirate money, pieces of eight, gold doubloons. What made it a piece of eight? It was the contents of silver. And they would cut these things up into eight pieces, each worth 12 and a half cents. Two bits made a quarter, and four quarters made a dollar. 0.7734 troy ounces of silver. We'll come back and we'll tell you what that could buy. In 1971, you could buy a candy bar for a dime. I remember. You buy 10 candy bars for a dollar. Today, if you wanted to buy 10 candy bars, it would take a $20 bill, depending on where you shop. Did you know that people used to buy five gallons of gas? 
for a dollar, 10 dimes. A hundred years ago, that was true. Would you be surprised if I told you that the same deal is available today? That's true if you pay for the gas using the metal value of a pre-1964 dime. It was 90% silver. And every once in a while, there'll be a filling station that'll offer a gallon of gas for a silver dime or two, just to prove the point. It was true in 1918, you could buy five gallons of gas for a dollar. It's true in 1979, if you used silver dimes, it's true today if you use 10 pre-1964 dimes. It'll buy five gallons of gas based on the silver content. That raises the key question, borrowing a phrase from Capital One, what's in your wallet? You're about to find out, and it's likely not good. But we need to learn what the founders said about money. They warned us, and here we are. Paper money has had the effect in your state that it will ever have to ruin commerce, oppress the honest, and open the door to every species of fraud and injustice. Who said that? George Washington in a letter to Thomas Jefferson. Paper money is unjust, it's unconstitutional, for it affects the rights of property as much as taking away equal value in land. Who said that? James Madison, the chief architect of the Constitution. Paper is poverty, it is the ghost of money and not money itself. Thomas Jefferson. And here's the last one. This is from Alexander Hamilton, America's first Treasury Secretary. To emit an unfunded paper as the sign of value ought not to continue a formal part of the Constitution, nor ever hereafter to be employed, being in its nature pregnant with abuses, and liable to be made the engine of imposition and fraud, holding out temptations equally pernicious to the integrity of government and to the morals of the people. Bottom line, the founders hated unbacked paper money. And that's an understatement. They loathed it. More importantly, they feared it. They knew the destruction it could bring from the addiction to the printing press and the inevitable greed of humanity. But they also understood the necessity and risks of playing with fire for an unprecedented fledgling republic that was created by we the people. I've got here a $4 continental note from Philadelphia in 1776. And you read on it, it says, it is payable to the bearer of four Spanish milled dollars or the equivalent value thereof in gold or silver. It's a continental. There was an old phrase that says, you know, that's not worth a continental, meaning it was worthless. This is an IOU, and they didn't have the money to back it. They didn't have the Spanish mill dollars, and it's important for you to understand that we've gone from unbacked paper money to unbacked paper money. How we got there can lead us in a path out of the mess that we're in. Now, you could buy a copy of the definitive work of the Monetary Powers and Disabilities of the United States Constitution by Edward and Vieira, Jr., it's titled Pieces of Eight. Note the pirate money reference. It's rare, it's out of print, but you can pick up a copy on Amazon for four or $500, uh, presumably less if you uh, buy a used version. I opted for a used paperback. And Vieira has four degrees from Harvard. His work is submitted to the President Reagan's United States Gold Commission in 1982. Uh, Ron Paul wrote the foreword, Dr. Ron Paul, Congressman, when it was uh, debuted. Uh, it is one of the most powerful explanations. It's not the easiest thing to read, so I'm gonna kinda summarize it for you. I've spent hundreds of hours pouring through Vieira's work and reviewing Supreme Court cases and reviewing other thoughts from the founders. I wanted to get a clear picture of how we got into the monetary mess we're in. So let's review some historical facts. I'm gonna walk through 10 of them quickly. Number one, the Continental Congress did in 
active desperation, print quite a lot of these continentals with a promise to repay in gold or silver. And it was an economic disaster. Number two, during the Articles of Confederation, paper money nearly bankrupted our new nation. Now, not only did the Congress coin and print money, but so did the states with varying levels of control. This created a mass economic chaos and was one of the primary reasons that the Articles of Confederation failed and had to be replaced with the Constitution. Now, number three, at the Constitutional Convention, there were hot debates over whether we should use unbacked paper money. But at one point in the drafting process, language was added that specifically allowed Congress to emit bills of credit. That would be unbacked paper money. The United States government did not issue purely paper money for three quarters of a century. Why? Because Governor Morris stood up and gave an impassioned speech and said, we cannot do this to our young country. Well, he had an impact almost unanimously. They removed emit bills of credit. And so we did not operate on unbacked paper money for three quarters of a century. Number four, in order to pay the high costs of the Civil War, both the North and South issued paper money whose value rose and fell with the fortunes of war. Private banks no longer converted paper money to coins or gold and silver on demand as they had before, which led to a crisis. The National Currency Banking Act was passed in 1863, replacing private notes with federal paper. Number five, the Supreme Court ruled in 1870 that unbacked paper money was unconstitutional. That was Hepburn versus Griswold. Their decision was based on the idea that fiat money represented an unlawful taking, violated the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. But their ruling was quickly overturned in the very next court session, 1871, in the Knox-Parker decision. How? Why? Well, Republican President Ulysses S. Grant packed the Supreme Court with two new justices and paved the road to fiat money. Number six, the Federal Reserve was established by Congress in 1913 and has become the de facto monopoly supplier of American money. Now, the Federal Reserve is privately owned by member banks, but it's authorized by Congress to produce notes, commonly referred to as dollar bills, and initially, the Fed was required to hold reserves capable of redeeming 40% of outstanding bills. That was later abolished. Number seven, separate from the Federal Reserve, the United States Treasury also issued bills and paper certificates starting in 1862, and they were redeemable in gold and silver, later only silver. And I've got here some silver certificates, a one, a two, and a five, issued by the U.S. Treasury. They look like dollar bills, but they're really not. You can pick up copies of these at coin shops and antique malls. Number eight, and this is the big one. On April 5th, 1933, President Franklin Roosevelt signed Executive Order 6102, forbidding the hoarding of gold coin, gold bullion, and gold certificates within the continental United States. This not only ended gold's convertibility of Federal Reserve and U.S. Treasury notes, but it also led to the confiscation of gold coins from citizens. We're going to need to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk, the, finish out the 10 things to know from history, but more importantly, learn what we should do about it today. We've been talking about the 10 things from history that we need to know and understand so that we can figure out this monetary mess that we're in. We're up to number nine, where President Nixon 
ended any form of convertibility to gold in 1971 as a temporary measure. Now, I already told you, citizens could not redeem paper money for gold after 1933, but the Treasury did allow foreign governments that opportunity. But when inflation was building, many foreign nations, led by Charles de Gaulle, decided that they were going to cash in the paper that they'd accumulate because they'd rather have gold than dollars. The demand to withdraw was so great that Nixon feared it would bankrupt the Treasury. So he closed the gold window. It was supposed to be a temporary measure. Shortly afterward, however, Nixon's Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger, crafted a new way to support our currency. He created the petrodollar arrangement, where Saudi Arabia was protected by America and agreed to price oil exclusively in dollars and to reinvest any excess financial reserves back into U.S. Treasury bonds. And that arrangement stood for 50 years. Now, though, the Saudis have not only agreed to price oil in Chinese yuan, but they've also agreed to join the BRICS alliance. And we've talked about this before. They want to take down the dollar. Number 10, Biden bucks, CBDC, soon will be issued by the Federal Reserve and will function as money, untethered by gold or silver, and not even limited by paper or ink. They call it programmable money. Let's watch a short clip from the World Economic Forum. And the one final note I will uh, make is that if you think about the benefits of digital money, there are huge potential gains. It's not just about uh, digital forms of physical currency. You can have programmability, you know, um, units of central bank currency with expiry dates. You could have, as I argue in my book, a potentially better, and yeah, some people might see it, or a darker world where the government decides that units of central bank money can be used to purchase some things, but not other things that it deems less desirable, like, say, ammunition or drugs or pornography or something of the sort. And that is very powerful in terms of the use of a CBDC. Like ammunition or drugs. Now, I don't want people buying illicit drugs, but they might cut off your ability to buy ivermectin or something that could help you. Now, here we are today. Our money has no backing other than confidence, which is faltering. Other nations want to remake the global monetary system like they did in 1971. The petrodollar is ending. Fiat paper money is being phased out by electronic versions. And we're on the cusp of central bank digital currency issued by the Federal Reserve with unlimited creation and total draconian control provided to the federal government. Does this mean the founders warned us, but we're stuck with an evil monetary system from which we cannot escape? Say it isn't so. Good news, pirate money, this sort of stuff. That's why you gotta get the book. Now I'm gonna give you a sneak peek at the solution, but pirate money is the way out of the monetary mess. It was the way for the founders to do it, it's the way for us to do it today. The founders prevented states from either coining money or emitting bills of credit. That's flat out in the Constitution. But they did allow one single provision for states regarding money. In just a few words, they provided what can be our escape hatch, maybe our safe space. And because they were so specific, it should actually work. The only thing states were allowed to do about money was delineated in Article 1, Section 10 in what is described in the form of a negative. It's almost like a Jeopardy thing. It's a no state shall do this rather than you can do it. They said, no state shall enter into any treaty alliance or confederation, grant letters of mark and reprisal, coin money, 
emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debt. Okay, we can't coin money, we can't emit bills of credit, which is unbacked paper money, but we can make gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. No wonder how to buy gold has become a top Google search term this year, according to the Wall Street Journal. In the 88th Texas legislature, we developed a plan. It didn't pass, but we're not giving up. This book is a treasure map to implementing state-based gold and silver money. Pieces of eight and gold doubloons. This, this is uh, a half escudo. It takes eight of these, so this is a one-eighth of a gold doubloon. By the way, the, not many gold doubloons around these days, but one of them sold for almost $10 million a year ago. Not because of the gold content, because of the rarity. But we can take that, and we can do what I've shared with you before, put electronic capabilities to it, kind of like I've told you about the Glint app, uh, to where you can tap to pay and pay with gold or silver. You can help us. What I need you to do is go to transactionalgold.com and use the Take Action button. We're preparing the ground for swift passage of a bill that would make pirate money legal again, electronically offered by the states, legal tender. And by the way, the book Pirate Money explains exactly why it's constitutional, how we're doing it, why we're doing it, and everything else. But if you go to transactionalgold.com and take action, you can encourage the governor to call a special session where we can get this pirate money legal and legitimate again. Now, we also mentioned in the plan to encourage other states, not just Texas, to go to transactional gold and silver. And we already have interest from Oklahoma, indicated by a letter from the treasurer of Oklahoma, Todd Russ. And we've begun discussions with officials in Utah, South Carolina, Arizona, Alaska, Michigan, Kansas, Florida, Missouri, Tennessee. By the way, those 10 states, you put oh, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, uh, that 10 grouping of states, together would be the third largest economy on the planet behind only the United States and China. And we propose model legislation to the National Association of Christian Legislators. Other states can use our bullion depository and they can fast track an offering. So do you have contacts with the leadership of states? Please help by connecting us with the right people. We need to move quickly. The last part of Plan B, what we're doing now, is to spread the word. We've already gotten some good publicity in Epic Times, uh, Zero Hedge, Lance Wallnow, Glenn Beck, Flashpoint, many other places, but we need to build a groundswell of support. That's why I wrote the book, Pirate Money. If you have contacts with major media, get them to us. And if you have other people that need to learn the founder's secret of pirate money, get them to read the book. You can learn about the book at piratemoneybook.com. That's where you go, and we'll explain it. You can get a copy. It's an easy read. It's a little over 100 pages, and you can read it in a couple of hours, then hand it to your friends and colleagues and neighbors. When people learn about this, they get so excited because they see a way out. The time is short, but the price is great. It's all about preserving liberty, security, and values, and transactional gold is one of our most important projects from the economic war room. We're fully invested in making it work. Won't you join us in this noble quest? Now, I'm gonna quote uh, from one of my heroes, came from Tennessee, fought and died in the Alamo. It's Colonel Davy Crockett. Colonel Crockett said, y'all may go to hell, I shall go to Texas. Well, I'm gonna paraphrase it. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I want everybody to go to heaven. But my paraphrase is CBDC may go to hell, my gold shall go to Texas. We're gonna summarize all this in our free economic battle plan at economicwarroom.com. Remember, 
what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.